You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Terry, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more information, please check out our website at www.creekside.org. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good morning, online friends. Thrilled that you'd be with us today as well. We'll see if it works here. Be ready to grab my Bible. Uh, actually, I'm going to change it right now so that I don't lose everything. That's got the man's harmonic because I can't miss with, mess with that. That would be so bad if I dropped those. I don't know how, whatever they are. So, sorry, little housekeeping here. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 6. As we continue in our series, the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be picking up the pace a little bit, I think. Uh, make sure we get it all finished up and, and buttoned up. I've loved so far uh, just being reminded of such important lessons. The passage today is the Lord's Prayer. We read about it last week. Today we're going to look at it. Uh, The Lord's Prayer is given in two different places here in Matthew 6 and also Luke chapter 1. Excuse me, Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. And the disciples go to Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Didn't ask him to teach him to preach. Didn't ask him to teach him to heal, uh, to teach, to do any of those things. Lord, would you just teach us to pray? And I'm convinced that the reason that he did that, that they asked for that, is because they saw the power of of Jesus' life. And somehow they were able to tie to that. And so Jesus says, okay, well, here we go. I'm going to teach you. Uh, Last week, we did kind of a precursor on how to pray Uh, that Jesus talks about before he goes into actually teaching about the model of prayer. Uh, We said, keep it simple, keep it secret, and be sincere. So today we're going to see Jesus is going to give two negatives followed by a positive. Last week he said, don't pray this way, don't pray this way. Don't pray to be seen by men, don't be prayed to be a spectacle. But today we're going to see how to pray. So here's the deal that a lot of times we forget because we've been around church so long. Uh, Our our prayer is not based and built. A good prayer doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be loud, and it doesn't have to have a lot of verbiage. Uh, There's no sense of filling up the times, and this is what Jesus, and we talked about last week, there's no sense of just filling up times with words and phrases that just fill time. God calls us, I want you to fulfill time. I want you to fulfill time on the basis of a relationship with me that you would talk and that you would share life and you would hear my voice. So don't just sit there and fill time. So let's look at it today, starting at verse, uh, uh, chapter six, verse nine. So Jesus says, therefore, here's how I want you to pray. Now, this isn't a, uh, this isn't, you, you can do this verbatim. We talked a little bit about it last week. You can do it for memory. You can pray it whenever you want. But I'm convinced that Jesus says, make this your template. Kind of the way you see prayer and the way you understand prayer. Is there, is there anybody here that you, you start praying and you go, oh, God in heaven. You know what I really need? I, I, I need a little bit more money because the month, uh, the money's running out and the month is still going. And then you kind of go, okay, well, amen. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. <clears throat> but when I first, when I first became a Christ follower, I was always amazed that, that people could pray for so long and so much stuff. And then it was time for me to pray. It was like that. You, you know what I mean? You know, Lord, yeah, here I am. <laughs> and, 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 and so if, if, if you're like that at all, if you find that after 37 seconds, maybe a long one might be a minute for you, 
Not that you've got to fill the time, but you can use this as a template. And here's what I believe. It's, it's not like you've got to pray through all six or seven of these things every time you pray. But you want to be checking your life and saying, Lord, where do I need you to speak to me? Where do I need to really share with you what's going on? Not that you don't know. But use this prayer to begin to be a template for your prayer time. So he says, you start with our Father in heaven. Your name is to be honored as holy. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I find myself saying more and more, Lord, your will be done in my home as it is in heaven. Lord, your will be done at Creekside as it is in heaven. If you've seen our website, you often saw, Lord, let your will be done in Martinez as it is in heaven. Would you give us today our daily bread? Would you forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors? And don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then Jesus, it's almost as if he wants to underscore part of it where he talks about forgiving those who are indebted to us. He says, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Highlight, 3D that. That's so important. That you're a person who's able to forgive. Well, the first stanza is our father who art in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Some of us understand that as hallowed be thy name. Those of us who grow up in church years ago with the King James Version. It, it, hear this. This is all about relationship. It's all about building upon a worshipful and reverent spirit. A prayer begins with relationship and recognition. Relationship. I'm coming to my father, my heavenly father recognition of where he is, that he is in heaven. He is far and above everything. <clears throat> now notice the first request that Jesus says you, we make, and it has to do with, the focus is on three things. Your name, God, your name, that's above every name. God, your kingdom and your will. See, prayer isn't primarily placing orders at the heavenly catalog counter, you know, where you go up there and say, I need this, I want this, could you do this, I want this size, Lord, fill my bank account. And it's not just giving a recitation of everything going on in your life as if God, you know, he's probably on the heavenly veranda somewhere taking a nap. And, you know, you got to say, hey, God, just in case you missed it. Uh, <clears throat> the Song of Solomon says that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's there. He knows. It isn't primarily telling God what we want. First and foremost, it is God first, not you and not me first. Now, this kind of prayer seeks what God wants before we ever present what we want. So we see this relationship coming into play. We see this worship coming into play. Most of us learn this part of the Lord's prayer is hallowed be thy name. See, the concept of this word has been lost in our language and obviously in our culture with the new translations because hallowed is a, it's a holy word. It means holy to be revered. That thy name, it's sacred. It's set apart. It's transcendent because that's how our God is and that's how our God lives. It is undeniable uh, that you and I live in this incredibly sin-stained world today that touches our lives every day. And here's the deal about this. We want to remember who God is. It's so easy to become kind of calloused and casual with who God is, and pretty soon we just kind of slide in and slide out without any sense of holiness or any sense of reverence for God. 
But when we come and we begin to pray, and maybe not, as I said earlier, maybe not every one of your prayers is going to include this, but maybe it's just a great way to start to say, God, who is in heaven, you are holy. And I come, I just want to humble myself before you today. See, the biblical concept of names, and you often hear me note this when we do child dedications, uh, it, it always had to do, especially in the Old Testament, it had to do with one's character and their personal identity. <clears throat> First Samuel 18.30, we see it says that David's name was highly esteemed. You know what? David had a good reputation. His name to the people around him in 1 Samuel, it stood for good character. This was kind of an accidental thing I did, but I remember it, uh, it, you know, every year they have the little kids' baseball parade downtown. And about six years ago, Isaac started playing baseball. And so, you know, we're like the, uh, we're the grandparents that are there running around getting pictures. And he was kneeling down, and all of a sudden I saw the name Riley on his, on his little jersey. And he was like six years old then. And I go, wow, look how big that name is on that little back. I got to get a picture of that. So I got a picture. I got a few pictures of it. And, and, and so what I did then, I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And I showed it to Isaac. I says, look it, that's your name. That's my name. That's your daddy's name. That's your mommy's name. And it reminded me, or I just started this every year for six years, I've taken a picture of his back, of his jersey. First couple of years, it was pretty, the name was big because he was pretty small. The last few years, the name is pretty small because he's really big. But why did I do that? Well, because <clears throat> I was kind of impressed with my name. I mean, you know, Riley, I thought, wow, that's just cool. Somebody's wearing my name. So he's got six pictures in six years of the name Riley. Why do I do that? Because well, here's what I did. I said, I said, kid, listen, you put that uniform on, you're representing me and you're representing that name. And it's a good name. And I want you to remember that whenever you go, whatever you do, however you play, you are representing a Riley. I want you to be proud. I want you to wear that name well. It's a part of who you are and it's who you represent. So go play good. God's name is holy. It's to be revered. Sometimes isn't it easy to forget that we really wear his name? That's why this prayer, I think, becomes so important. Because every time that I start to pray and I say, oh, God in heaven, that's right. That's my name. I'm, I'm part of God's and sons incorporated. And I never want to forget that. Because see, while our heavenly father, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's caring, and he cares for every need that you and I have, the focus of our prayer, hear me, loved ones, is always about God, he's our priority. He becomes our prayer focus. That from the very beginning, we lift him up even beyond our own needs because now you and I are talking to God, the creator of this universe, the one who gives you and me life. So we want to make sure that we live in this balance of coming into the holy and awesome, sinless presence of God to revere him, yet, yet, we can also come with a sense of, this is my father, who's loving, he's faithful, he's compassionate, he's everlasting, and he does want to meet my needs and take care of me. Because see, we, the, the pendulum has a tendency to swing culturally throughout history, church history. You know, for years, people would cower down. Oh, God, don't smite me. You know, the great smiter. And there's something powerful about that. And then the pendulum swings and it's kind of, hey, God, what's up, man? What's shaking, baby? You, wanna, you got something for me? And see, this is where we want to make sure that we keep 
a balance that we understand God is God and we're not. But he also offers us this powerful relationship of fatherliness. So how do we, how do we honor his name as holy? Well, we come to him and we grow in him these ways. We believe that he exists, Hebrews eleven six. You can't honor God if you don't believe in him. And that's the first starting point for every one of us. Secondly, you trust in what and who he says he is and what he can do. You live life looking to him, trusting in him during your good times, during your difficult times, during your dark nights of the soul. I've seen so many Creeksiders go through those times and I'm always so strengthened and built and blessed when I hear their expressions of faith in their God. Thirdly, you live in a knowledge that he's ever present. Psalm 16, eight says this, I have set the Lord always before me. You, you wanna slap the slack out of your sails? Never forget God is always with you. He's ever before you, ever behind you. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And fourthly, live obedient before him as an expression of your love for him. That's what Jesus says in John 14. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You want to honor God? You want to honor his name? Keep his commandments. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a submissive spirit that's committed to the life of God's will here on earth. And it's part of this prayer. See, the primary focus of prayer should be to desire to get God's word, excuse me, God's will established and accomplished here. It isn't about us getting our will and our desires fulfilled on earth. God intended prayer to be this pathway to where I work in cooperation with him. Uh, Paul said that in Philippians chapter two, work out what God has worked in. So we're there working to cooperate with God's purposes on this rebellious planet. <clears throat> True prayer always begins with God and you and I aligning with what he wants to do. God is sovereign. And I believe that just about everything or everything that I've ever prayed for and received, he had already purposed and planned for and to give me before I ever even prayed. Why? Because God is sovereign. He knows what I need before I do. So some of you are thinking and you're going, okay, well, good, good. Then why should we pray? Well, because God has made you and I free, moral Agents, We have our will as well as God's will. That's why God, that's why Jesus challenges us. And he says, you pray for God's will. See, God's given you and me this capacity of choice and God honors my choices. And he will seldom violate that free will and free choice. I'm sure there are times. But some of us, we, we, we watch and we wonder, how come this person responds to Jesus and this person doesn't? Well, maybe it's because their will is not his will. There's a whole bunch of theology around that. But therefore, prayer is opening the door to God and to things that he has for me, what he's planning and wanting to do with and in and through my life. Now, when we talk, when he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, God's not talking about walls and castles or buildings. His rule and reign is of his godly presence. Every kingdom needs a king. Who's the king of our kingdom? Well, it's Jesus. That's what Jesus really talked about. He said, I've come here to usher in the kingdom of God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about this is what the kingdom looks like. This is how the kingdom operates. And if you're going to be a person that's going to follow me, this is how your life needs to begin to be shaped by my word and by my ways. See, God's kingdom is universal. Psalm 145, 13, Colossians 1, 17. His kingdom is of this earth. We see that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. It's entered into through repentance and a personal change of mind and direction where we say, God, I'm going the wrong way. So now I want to go your way, not my way. 
That's the idea of repentance, where we turn and we go another direction. And Jesus says, when you do that, I can begin to teach you and mold you and shape you into the person that you're called to be, to be a part of my kingdom. Now, when we talk about God's will and our will, I don't know about you, but just almost parenthetically, do you ever thank God for the prayers that he didn't answer? Have you ever looked over your life and looked back and go, whew, I'm sure glad he didn't answer that. I'm sure glad he didn't answer that. Because see, when we're praying a lot of times, uh, we really aren't sure or don't know what to pray for. And so we pray about things that we only see from a very temporal, close-up perspective. We don't see it from 30,000 feet or from God's perspective. And sometimes I just sit back and I say, oh, thank God I didn't. You didn't answer that prayer. You didn't answer that desire that I had. Never forget, loved ones, that this whole thing about prayer is not about fulfilling our wishes, but it's all about that thy will be done in this place, in this heart, in this life, in your home, and in your family as it is in heaven. See, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I want your life. I want your home. I want your work. I want everywhere you go to look just a little bit more like heaven because you've been there. That's what the kingdom is about. It's about bringing it to people. It's been said there's two kinds of people, those walking with God who say, thy will be done, and those who live for themselves saying, my will be done. God is incredibly just and terrifyingly fair. Did you know that? Because he will give you ultimately what you want. If you say, my will be done, he will allow it. And that's what will, he'll, and he'll allow everything to happen that goes with it. Think about it when you see people that make decisions that you know are just <clears throat> wrong. God gives us this free will and says, go ahead and do it. Uh, but you get the consequences. As your kids get older, don't you do the same thing with them? You say, okay, if that's where you're going to go and that's what you want to do, I can't stop you. And then they have to play out the consequences. That's what our Heavenly Father will do for us. He'll always give us a word. He'll always protect us and watch over us and try and steer us the other way. But ultimately, we're going to go. So we have the choice to respond to the invitation of Psalm 4610, where it says, be still and know that I am God. Or we can say, God, you be still. I've got this. This prayer, this Lord's prayer is a reminder that we don't live with passive resignation, but we pray with purposeful intention as we invite King Jesus into our life, into our situations, his kingdom and his agenda that we exist for his purposes and his activities. Are you worried about this earthly kingdom? Are you worried about these earthly politicians? I know some of us in here are. Let me ask you this. Do you spend more time watching the news? Do you spend more time praying? Or do you spend more time complaining about this earthly kingdom? Jesus says, I want you to pray. My kingdom come. Has this pandemic, has it diminished your hope and increased your fears? Pursue Jesus' kingdom. Pursue his peace that surpasses all comprehension, Philippians chapter 4, and pursue him, the Prince of Peace. Because whatever your earthly kingdom issue is, Jesus and his kingdom can take care of it. God said this to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? Isn't it true? Maybe you're like this once in a great while. But sometimes when I pray, <clears throat> I bring my own limitations to the process. I begin to think this thing is too hard for me. It's too big for me. Oh God, it's, boy, I hope you can handle it. 
I hope you can keep the United States united. I hope you can keep Creekside united. You know, all of these things, this family united, whatever it is. But hear me, God reminds Jeremiah because he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching to all of these people. He's preaching to God's people and he's not seeing anybody respond. And God says, listen, behold, I'm the Lord. There's nothing too hard for me. Trust in me, watch me. That's why we pray for God's kingdom to come and infuse our lives. So after we worship and we invite God's kingdom, there's three requests that have to do with our needs. The first one is physical. Give us our daily bread. The second is spiritual. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And the third one is moral. Lead us not into temptation. All of these three, all of these life needs that you and I have really are represented in these three requests. And they teach us that anything in our life can be brought to our heavenly father. So he says, give us our, today our daily bread. Now this has to do with being a person with a, dis, a dependent person upon our heavenly father. Uh, Jesus didn't say, give me my bread. He didn't say, give us our bread. He did say, give us our bread. As you study this here passage, you begin to see that there is absolutely no place in there where the single singular pronoun is found. Why is that? Well, because we are part of a kingdom and a community together. Now, some people will use this as a, well, okay, if God's going to provide our daily needs, then I probably don't need to work. Uh, <laughs> has anybody ever thought of that? Or try? There are people who believe that. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying live with a sense of dependence that I am your provider. It's not a call to not work. As a matter of fact, here's a greater kingdom truth. Ephesians 4.28, it says, instead use your hands for good work and then give generously, generously to others in needs. That's why I think Jesus doesn't just say, give me my daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread. We don't work only for ourselves, but we work for the higher calling to be a blessing to others. Now, that may bother some of us, but that's the Bible. It isn't all about me, myself, and mine. I'll move on. But to live this way takes faith and trust in God's provision and faithfulness. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago about living with our hands wide open. You begin to see how all of Jesus' teaching are threaded together. And they make greater sense as you move through it. This is what it's like to be a Jesus follower. We pray each day. We don't pray, Lord, provide for me this week, this month, this year. Why does he say daily bread? Well, because I think it leads us to daily look to him, to think on him, and to be thankful to him for his provision. This is such a gracious invitation to focus on him as our provider. Every day. Remember when God's people were in the wilderness? He provided and he fed them manna and quail each day. If they saved it up, what did it do? Well, it's it spoiled. You want to talk about a crash course in trust? Those people had to live it. They had to only pick up so much each day until the weekend. See, that, it, here's what happens to, to us. Success in life can often lead us to great depths of independence, and we can lose focus on Jesus. We can get off the track and we can begin to trust ourselves. We can begin to handle our life day in and day out, week in and week out. I, I don't, don't respond to this, but this is the question that I kind of started thinking about as I'm going through this. Lord, where have I really had to trust you financially in the recent season of my life? Or where have I given where it's made a difference beyond my normal giving? 
That's what happens is, is, is we can begin to become so successful, so self-contained. Uh, but, but the word bread here isn't just about literal bread. It refers to our physical needs in general. Praying for our daily bread reminds us that in all of our successes, everything that you have, loved ones, that house, that car, that paycheck, those goods coming in, that food that you're going to go home and eat today, it's systemic to the good hand of God providing for you. It's a great reminder that we still need God. We will always need God. We come humbly to ask of him, our heavenly father, thank you that you provided today. Would you continue to provide this work, this nice car, this home? It continues to lead us to trust him to provide for our needs, any needs, and all of our needs. And I know that there are significant needs beyond resources in this room. So you might pray, Lord, it's not bread that I need. It's healing today. That's what I'm going to ask you for. Lord, it's not bread. It's my, it's my wayward child. Lord, it's not bread. It's this addiction that I need to overcome. It just reminds us, loved ones, that we have this depth of need for Jesus. And then he says, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. This is your pardon and my pardon, where we come before God and we say, God, would you just forgive me? It's confessing, it's repentant heart before God and a forgiving spirit toward other, others. See, this is an ongoing part of your prayer life. This could probably happen for most of us every day where we get up and sometime in our prayer life, Lord, would you just forgive me for the way I treated this person? Would you forgive me for the thoughts that I had? Would you forgive me for the words that I spoke? Because sin is simply missing God's mark of perfection, one point of it. The Jews to whom Jesus is writing to in the book of Matthew, they believed that when you disobeyed God, you owed him a debt. <laughs> I thought, whoa, that's, that would be a big debt. It's so easy to forget that it was our debt and our sin that led Jesus to come. Matthew chapter 1, he came to show us who God was. And then it says he came to save his people from their sins. That's why he came. And Jesus says, don't ever forget that. He's not talking about worm theology where you walk around as, I'm such a loser sinner. That's true. But Jesus loved you so much, saw so much value in you, has so much care for you. He says, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to buy you back from the pawn shop of hell. And I'm going to give it to you, what you don't deserve. And then I'm going to bless you with grace that you don't deserve. But we don't ever want to forget that, loved ones. That God has forgiven us. He paid a debt that he did not owe, and he paid a debt that we could not pay. Romans 8, uh, 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. This was God's way of paying for and removing our high crimes and the moral misdemeanors that we've committed before the God and the judge of this universe. See, sin has these significant effects on one's life. Don't raise your hand, but has anybody ever felt any of those? See, the idea of praying and seeking God's forgiveness isn't for his benefit. It's for your benefit, your benefit, your benefit, my benefit. In theological terms, we've already experienced, or not experienced, but we've received this forgiveness as Jesus' work on the cross. When he said in John 20 that it is finished, it was finished for all time, past, present, and future. But everyone in this room, everyone in this world has to appropriate that, has to receive it, has to accept it and make a decision to say, Jesus, I received the payment. 
payment that you made for my debt. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And see, when you don't experience that loved ones, when you're not in a life, when you're not living a life of confession and repentance, there's a tendency for that to kind of haunt you and dog you and follow you around. Jesus knew that. That's why he said, listen, I want you to pray for forgiveness, for your pardon. It's for your benefit. That's how you get rid of the guilt the condemnation, and begin to experience personal peace. Psychiatrist woman William Sadler noted this, a clear conscience is a great step toward barricading the mind against neuroticism. Think about it. Have you ever been in deep, deep debt? I mean, debt, that when you made a payment on that debt, it still continued to grow? And doesn't that just kind of leave you hopeless? See, that's what sin can do in our lives. We make this payment, but the debt just continues to grow. And every person needs to know the joy of their sins forgiven and to be released from this debt. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a great thinker, many of you are aware of him, Christian apologist and acclaimed author. He was asked this question, what is found in Christianity, which is not found in any other religion. That is the key point. He thought for a second, he said that's simple, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what Jesus always wants to bring us back to. You don't have to carry the debt. You don't have to carry the stuff. Drop the back backpack of junk. Confess it, release it, give it to Jesus. And then he says... We have forgiven our debtors. This is my pardon for others. Jesus is saying, okay, here's the deal. You've received this free gift of forgiveness from our Lord. Now you are called to freely give it to the people around you that would be indebted to you. You ever been hurt by someone? More specifically, have you ever been blindsided by betrayal? Have you been lied to, lied about? Had your reputation sold, your character attacked, your intentions questioned, your motivations doubted? Has anyone ever ripped you off? I mean, these are just some of the things. You could, you could probably fill in the blank with something of your own. Each of these becomes a payload of painful shrapnel that explodes on your soul and causes, well, some toxic issues if you don't deal with them. Jesus says, I want you to forgive those who have sinned against you. Again, he says, as we forgive. These two words signal a linguistic transition in Jesus' talk here from what was before and has happened to us to the, this point moving forward that we begin to take care of it. And this is what needs to happen in the present. It transitions from what Jesus Christ has done for us uh, to what we're now supposed to do to others. Why? Because we're people of his kingdom. We live in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Don't you love that first part about Jesus' pardon for you? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? <laughs> Doesn't it just kind of frustrate you and kind of fry you a little bit when you got to do the second part, though? That transition has to happen in our lives. And I just want to tell you, it's not easy. You know that. If you've experienced any of those things that I mentioned, you know it's not easy to let go of someone, of some other debtor's debts towards you or toward me. That's not such a celebrative proposition as if, or as like when God does it for you and for me. But it is the Jesus way. Ephesians 4.30 and 32 says this. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. He's put his name on you. Son or daughter of God. Get rid of all bitterness, wrath and rage and anger, harsh words, slander. Instead, oh my goodness, be kind to one another. Tender hearted. 
forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's never easy, but it always starts with your personal decision to say, I will, I will, I choose to forgive. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. I just read something last night. Subconsciously, it said subconsciously, it takes six to eight months for the brain to process complete forgiveness for someone who has hurt you in a significant way. Most of us, if you've been hurt significantly, you understand that process. Forgiveness is not simply a destination. It is a journey you have to walk. And so many Christ followers, they say, okay, I'm going to forgive, excuse me, so-and-so for this or for this. And it's big time stuff. And then they leave and they, two days later, they go, I don't feel like I've forgiven them. I still have these things. It's a process, loved ones. But it always starts with a first step. And sometimes that's why it's best to say, Jesus, today, thank you for forgiving me, or would you forgive this? I choose to forgive so-and-so. Help me to do that. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is this confident trust in our Father God's protection. The word temptation here can be translated as test, trial, or temptation. See, our English word for temptation and four other Greek words for temptation really has to do with the solicitation to do evil. But this word that a lot of the translators translated as temptation is probably better rendered trial because the temptation that is talked about is the one of the, of the four words for, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Greek language that's very neutral. It's not, a, it's not good, it's not bad, it's just there. And that's why a better translation for this word would be trial or a test. Because God, as we read the scriptures, you can see in the Old Testament and you can read through to the New Testament, you always see that God always uses tests and trials for our personal growth. But I think what Jesus is getting to here is when some of the translators use this word is this is what can happen. If you go through a trial or you're going through a test, If you don't handle it well and you don't look to Jesus and Father God to get you through it and to understand what you're going through and why you're going through and what he wants to teach you, it quickly becomes a temptation and solicitation. The enemy will use it to get you to take a shortcut and do something else. You don't have enough money. You'll take a shortcut. You're not happy in your marriage. You'll take a shortcut. That's how the enemy works. And what, what Jesus is saying, pray that as you go through these different things of life to help you grow, don't take the shortcut. Trials and tests are good for they help us to deliver and to develop and to grow and strengthen our spiritual lives. James 1, 2, and 3 says this, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But Satan will always come to pervert God's growth and plan for your life. And he will want to turn it into a pathway of failure. We saw it from the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's out there. And he knew, what did Satan do? Come and tempted him in the three areas that God had promised him. That's what he does with you and me. And then he closes and he says, this is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's this triumphant and exalted spirit. Notice this. Prayer begins with worship and it ends with worship. You know what prayer really is? It's it's worship. It's got your head up. You're looking to God. Worship comes from the word worth-ship. And when you worship God, see, we always tie it into singing and what we do here on Sunday morning, and that's part of it. But worship is truly what we do with our life, day in 
and day out. It's how we value and place worth on who God is in our lives. The greater the value you're placing on him, the greater worth that you're giving him, the more you're truly worshiping him. And that's what Jesus says, thine is the kingdom and the power and his glory forever. Amen. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just acknowledging who God is. It's that sense that you feel when you look up into the sky and you see the vastness. It's that sense that you feel when you go to the mountains and you look at El Capitan and Yosemite. It's that sense that you feel when you go down to the beach and you see the ocean and you go, only God, only God. This prayer starts with worship and it ends with worship. Do your prayers kind of take that way? Or is it more of just this checklist of God, do for me, give for me, give to me, take care of me? And that's all part of it. But what I want us to be mindful of this morning is see God, this transcendent, holy God who loves you and he gave his life for you. Here's what we're gonna do while Jake is playing for just a moment. I don't wanna just talk about this prayer. We had to fly by it, but I want you to embrace something of it for just a moment. Is there somebody in here? If you're here today, we're gonna to take a moment. We're just gonna, I'm gonna say the Lord's prayer again. And I want you to embrace a part of it that you need. Our Father who is in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Maybe you haven't just sat on your own and just told God how great he is in your life. I'm gonna invite you to do that this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Maybe you've been involved too much in the kingdom of thingdom and your kingdom and you just gotta go, oh God, I've made it all about me. It's all about you. Maybe you need something. Maybe you need God's touch upon your life for resources, for healing, for vision, for perspective. You would want to pray right there. God, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. God, forgive me my debts. Maybe you're here today, and it's been a long time since you guessed said, God, I'm a sinner. Sometimes I forget that. I think I'm pretty good, and, and you probably are. Or somebody may be here, and you're just carrying around a boatload of guilt and condemnation. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that. That's tiring. That's wearying. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus and you just say, I need to respond to him today and receive him and determine I'm gonna follow his way. Forgive me of my sins. Maybe you're here today and when I talked about somebody, when I talked about forgiving other people, your thought was this. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Take a moment here in just a moment to pray for them. Your kingdom come into that situation. I choose today to forgive them. Maybe you're here and you've got some temptations going on. You've got some solicitations. You're going through a difficult time and sometimes you're sitting there thinking, God, I don't know if I can trust you. That's the enemy of your soul wanting to rob you of what God wants to teach you and build in you to take a shortcut. Take a moment and do some business with the king. Maybe you say, man, life has been such a blessing to me. I just want to worship God. Do something. Maybe you kneel. Maybe you lift your hands and say, God, thank you. I just want to express my trust and my love to you. But let's not just 
hear about the prayer. Let's take a moment to engage the prayer. Take one spot, one point, and would you just take a moment and kind of build your own little church, your own little sanctuary right there? It's just going to be a minute or two, but take a moment to pray to God. you stand with me, please? Father, my Father, we can't even scratch the surface of of who you are and how to pray to you. But thank you that in the feebleness of all of our words and that you hear our heart cry. You've heard every one of them today from every one of us as we prayed. I thank you for the privilege of gathering together to encounter you. Help us, God, to encounter you every day this week that we do look to you and trust in you and daily speak to you. Help us to use this simple prayer to sincerely come before you and think about you as we pray. I thank you, Lord, for these people that are here today. Let there be a significant time of encounter with you as they pray. I ask that, God, in your name.